When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Trot's Life. It is your Tuesday edition. Just a little bit behind the curtain. I've done a couple of pre-records for today's show. Don't worry, people. I'm happy to say it. And it's it's just brilliant. Uh, the content, the stories of these people today, it's as good as... As you'll get on Trot's Life, it's such a privilege to be in a position to tell these stories. They're not stories overnight. They're not stories of a week of buying a horse. They're stories of generations, absolute generations. Angela Margison, who's she, you say? She's from the Lay Girl Syndicate that in 1986 bought a mare called Interchange. From that mare, that syndicate has bred horses like El Sue, Revenay, Copper Beach, who won a New Zealand and Vic Oaks, De Lovely, who won the Australian and New Zealand Oaks, and eventually Copper Goodwin, the mother of Catch a Wave. She still follows every single horse from that family. What a story. What a just, it is absolutely brilliant. Andrew will be off the top. I've got, to, I've got to keep this intro quick, get to an ad break and get back to it. It's, I just want to listen to it now. David Collins, trains back an alien. He drove a winner in 1986 in Mount Gambia. In 2010, he went and bought a mare because it was related to his one winner he drove. He's bred from that mare and it's back an alien. It's staggering. And Sooty Hunt, if you're listening... You won't believe where he was in 1991 on a famous night to Trot's Life. Stay tuned, David Collins. It is, it is an unbelievable story. And back in Alien, wow, he's in tonight at Cranbourne. You've got to hear it. And then Wayne Ronan. Wayne decided to buy a mare in 1998-99, a mare called Norwood Topsy. His foundation mare from that Jerry Hattrick, named after his father, Jerry. Trebler Trebler. Uh, who else is there? Dash of Class. Ideal Lifestyle, Better Down Under, Kafaji. Helen's in Paradise, who was named after his late mother after she passed. And she, of course, is a mother of common courtesy. So in common courtesies winning at Melton, it's in the memory and the name of, of Wayne's late mother, Helen. And what a beautiful sentiment it is. So every time she races, he's still got that memory of his of his mother and Helen with the mother of common courtesy being Helen in paradise. You've got to hear these three stories. Stay tuned. Trot's life is such a privilege to be able to tell these stories and dig a bit deeper and today, uh, it's it's as good as it's going to get, I reckon. Now, let's get to an ad break. Let's get stuck into it. Angela Margeson on the other side. Where did Catch a Wave come from? Well, there's generations of breeding. And it's all started with a mare in 1986 that a syndicate of girls got together and bought called Interchange. She won over 100000 back then. And let's pick it up with Angela on the other side of the break. Welcome back to Trot's Life, and I'm joined by a very special guest in Angela Margeson from the Les Girls Syndicate. I think it was the Les Girls number two syndicate, but 
It's a syndicate that has led to a horse called Catch a Wave, who is the man of the moment. And Angela, firstly, thanks for joining us. And how are you? And whereabouts are you today? Right. Um, I thank you for that. Um, I live in uh, a place called Aka Aka, which is between Pukekohe and Waiuku. Um, and that's where I am today. Very good. Our, our friends over the ditch in New Zealand. So take us, tell us a bit about the Les Girls Syndicate. It must have started quite some time ago. It did. Initially in 1986, we bought a lovely mare, or at the time she was just a little um, yearling, um, called Interchange. Yeah. And, and that's where it, our story started from. Wow. And for five and for five years we raced. Yep, and she won and, the international classic, a hundred and fifty thousand dollar race, and she only had the four wins from twenty six starts by New York Motoring. She was a very good filly. She was a very good filly, but and just a lovely horse all round. And uh, of course, she's done us so well, and and everything we've read since has has her in it somewhere along the line. Wow, so she was your foundation mayor, is what I would call it. That's uh, the syndicates got together. You've you've had a bit of success with her. She had twelve foals for six winners, and a lot of people will know the name Interchange, and they'll remember the great horse El Sue, who won two point one million dollars. What a horse! <laughs> That's right. Yes. Well, he was bought by one of the girl women from Lay Girls, and um, and then she syndicated him. So. It still sort of partially stayed in the Lay Girls Syndicate, I suppose. There was another good horse that uh, harness people in Australia will be familiar with was Revenez, who uh, won yeah. many races. He, he won 22 races and 264,000. Both him and Elsu went on to become stallions. That's right. Well, I don't think Revenez was very successful as a stallion, but um, we raced him in the, initially in New Zealand, and we had seven wins from him in New Zealand. So, um, and to us, he was a lovely horse. We didn't really want to sell him, unfortunately. But <laughs> he, was, he was a real uh, striking stallion, wasn't he? He was striking, but unfortunately, um, he was up against another horse, and I just can't remember its name at the moment, um, okay. who won 22 in a row or something. Courage Under Fire. Was he that, Courage Under Fire's year? Yeah, that's right. Yes. So yeah, yeah. so um, that's really the decision in the end to sell him. In, in 1993, there was an unraced mare, Lay Payson Star by Payson's brother, and uh, I like the name of this. It was obviously part of the Lay Girl Syndicate, Lay Pacing Star, and you were hoping for a pacing star, were you? I don't know about that, but <laughs> um, when when she was born, and um, Graham Henley will tell you this, um, because he was at the stud where she was born. She was born with the most na- nasty, twisted front leg. Okay. And and um, so obviously she couldn't race. But they also thought that the idea would have been to have put her down because she was God. De- deformed. But us being women and not wanting to put down any of our horses, we bred from her. So um, from that, we've had huge success, especially through Copper Beach. Wowee. So we would not, I would not have rung you today. There would be no such catch a wave if that mare was put down at that time. But as women and, and you wanted to keep her and you thought, well, we've we've had some fun with this family already, we'll keep going and we'll breed from her. That's exactly right. And uh, wow. we even tried to break her in the poor deer, but, um, Wasn't and, um, but no, yes, that's what happened there. So you mentioned Copper Beach, who was by Beach Tower. She won... $185,000. She won the New Zealand Oaks. She won the Victorian Oaks. And Andy Gath will probably be listening to this. You beat Yada, 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 trained by Andy Gath in that Victorian oh. Oaks. So I just thought we'd just, you know, put a little um, a little <laughs> toothpick in the Andy side. Uh, won yeah. the New Zealand and Victorian Oaks. She was a great filly, Copper Beach. Oh, she was lovely. She was really strong too. Um, a lot of people didn't give her the credit that perhaps 
um, was there. I know one night um, one of the drivers of her didn't realise how much bottom she had and really didn't try with her. So there, there were a few little things like that along the way with her. But um, she's she's sitting out in front of my house at the moment. Oh, wow. That, did you yeah. watch the Chariots of Fire? Because I think Catch a Wave showed yeah. a little bit of bottom at about the 200 metre mark when he pulled out yeah, and went past so. Captain Ravishing. What do you reckon? <laughs> I think so. Absolutely no. Fantastic. And gosh, didn't he try? And he tried and tried down that home street. You, you, but yeah, you've had no preparation for this. You're remembering all of this like it happened yesterday. Well, yes, but um, I was the manager of Lay Girls, so yep. probably have a fair, you know, a fair bit of um, in persuasion and making uh, decisions, I guess, along the <laughs> way. So, so yes, but no, Copper Beach has gone on to be a a love. Um, a lovely producer. Oh, I like the little pun there. A lovely producer. Tenfold, seven yes. wins. And D Lovely yes. was pr- the shining light, really. 15 wins, $650,000. She won the New yes. Zealand Oaks the same as her mother. She won the Australian Oaks, something her mother uh, didn't do. She won a ladyship, yes. three-year-old. She won the Breeders' Stakes, the Queen of Hearts, a three-year-old diamond. She won the three-year-old Breeders' Crown in 2010. She was... Probably a rung above Copper Beach in her achievements. Oh, she was yes, she was. She was very quick. She was good at good at each end of the race too, and that's what made her so good. Just unfortunately, in the end, she got a knee problem, and that just couldn't be. Uh, we would have lost her if we had have kept racing her. So we had to give up, which was a shame. But no, she was she was a real champion. Another one of those ten foals from Copper Beach was Cop a Good One. Were you yep. name were you naming these horses? Where did Cop well, a Good One come from? Right. That that actually came from when the race for uh Copper Beach. Yeah. When she when she was in the New Zealand Oaks. Yeah. At the beginning they asked said a little comment about who had a little had a copper coin, what would they what would they bet on in the Oaks? Hmm. And because she was Copper Beach, and I just sort of put all that together to so say Copper Good One was just um, who could Copper Good One was how they they phrased the comment before the race. Okay. And yeah, so that's and you... where I thought, well, that's a good name for a horse, and sort of kept remembering it until such time as we got Copper Good One and. And we named her. We named all our horses ourselves, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Was it always unanimous or was there sometimes a bit of discussion oh, and no, some no, voting? We, yeah, we voted all the time. Yeah, yeah. Right from the start. It's like Rev and Ears is Zen over backwards, you yeah, know. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it, there was always a reason behind what we named the horses. And that, those wondering, uh, Zenova was the mother of Interchange. She had 17 foals. She raced, she raced herself unsuccessfully, but she, yeah, she had 17 foals. So she was uh, Revenez's, what, grandmother or great-grandmother, one oh. or the other? I think it was grandmother, Ida. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah grandmother. Yeah, yeah. that's a grandmother. Yeah. Uh, Don't want to go too far that way. <laughs> so, yes. What what was Copper Good One like? Did she Andy Gatz made some terrible comments about this mare Copper Good One because he trained her for a while and and let's just say she's not Andy's favourite racehorse of all time. Well, funny enough, Copper Beach was called Copper Beach. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> no, you can say she that. was. And and I think Copper Good One was a bit similar to her. Um, uh, keep, keep going. I didn't expect yeah. that. Oh, sorry. No, no, but that's when, good. <laughs> but when she went uh, to the races, and I think her and Asajar, who's out of Luna Shard, raced at the same time at um, Cambridge. Yeah. We want we wanted Copper Good One. Uh, sorry, yes, Copper Good One to win because we wanted to keep her and breed from her ourselves. But just unfortunately, at times, lay girls had to sell something and we had to sell her. So I don't know how hard she was to train, but if she was anything like her mother, um, there probably 
there's some difficulties with the, the way they use their legs at times, and that's in the training. Um, we had to, and I'm just trying to think whether it was Copper, no, it was Copper Beach herself. We just had to let her go. Hmm. Um, if you watch her when she was, um, sorry, she went to the trials, hmm. she um, she just had to let, let her have her freedom. Otherwise, they had some little rough steps along the way. Yeah. They, were best, they were best left to their own devices a little bit. Yeah. So whether that's the reason whether she, why she was tough, but I think she was still also quite quick. Um, I don't know it was when Andy Gatt was training Copper Goodwin, but she did do a 153 or something and come second. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, so she... So this this all started with you in 1986 with Interchange and then La Payson Star in 93. Copper Beach was born in 2000. 2006, Copper Goodwin. She goes to start. Her third foal is Catch a Wave, who wins the Chariots of Fire. He's arguably our best horse over here at the moment, and that'll create some debate. Uh, you watched it on Saturday night, and you still follow all these horses? I follow all our horses in Australia. I think we've got about, there's about eight running at the moment sure. out of different horses. Um, Leticia, here, Leticia, who we raced ourselves in New Zealand. Yep. Um, but quite a few of them. And I I go through every day uh, what is racing in Australia and I watch as many of them as I possibly can. That's but on Saturday night, I'll tell you the truth, yeah. I did not see the race. Yeah. Because so I late. had intended to watch it, and you had a big storm over there in um, New South Wales. Yep, which would have and made it, it really late over there in New Zealand. I think it was one o'clock in the morning, and then I didn't know what was going on, so um, I switched the TV off. And, so it was the next day before I knew. That's disappointing, Angela. We expect you to stay up to watch every yeah, single start, <laughs> every one of these progeny have. Where's, where's your dedication? Well, we have, well, the only thing we've got now is two old mares in the front paddock here. So um, that's really why, I guess, my interest now is simply in watching Progeny. Yeah, but that's still that's still just as interesting to you and just as fun. I can tell you're getting such great enjoyment out of it. It's, pre- it's obviously easy to enjoy it when it's horses like Ian Buckian and Catch a Wave. That's correct, yes. And even better, Coppergood one did okay as well. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. They've all done very well. But, uh, yeah, Catch Away was exceptional. So the the Lay Girls Syndicate, you're no longer breeding any, but over so many years, such a journey breeding horses. And uh, the I know the small family had a, had a big part in it as well. Well, they were members of the small family in the syndicate. But really, uh, Lay Girls was, um, was it? Autonomous. Uh, we 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 ran ourselves. Yep. Um, you know, so uh, everything we did, we, you know, include we spent three million on horses. You know, on training and paying adjustments and everything like that too along the way. So it's really three million dollars yeah. across. Yeah. So you well, kept track of all this, and you might have a bit of accounting blood in you or something by the sounds of it. And well, yeah. it was part of my job too, but. Yeah. Uh, you know, at one stage we had 15 horses, so we were adjusting 15 horses. We didn't have anywhere of our own to yeah to house them, so we we were keeping the industry afloat as well. How many girls was part of the syndicate? Now that's that's the thing that's different is that for five years it was a racing syndicate with. Interchange. Yeah. Yeah, At the yep. end of that five years in '91, uh, four of the original syndicate plus two new people um, bought Interchange yeah, for yep. breeding and and racing and everything else that we did. What? So. What a journey you must have been on, though. There must have been some bottles of wine and champagne after some victories across the years. I think so. Yes. Some real enjoyment at times, and some hard times as well. But no, really enjoyed. I guess it's been it was been a wonderful time. But don't the hard times mean you enjoy the better times so much more? 
Yes, but you know also what I do enjoy, um, and I know one day I said the wrong thing at the races, when a horse that is only one of your little horses wins a race. Yeah. I get just I used to get just as much pleasure out of that as say de lovely well, at, at, at times. That that came through in this interview. You've got as much love for Copper Good One who won two races, one for you as you did for the lovely. You you just yeah. love the animal, the horse, the breed, the whole journey that you've been on with each and individual horse. Absolutely. Yes. Angela yep. Margerson, thank you so much for this chat. I'm sorry. It's ab- absolutely fantastic. I thank you so much for coming on. And uh, this, uh, yeah, so thanks so much. And keep following all the horses and uh, keep riding the wave that is Catch a Wave. Will do. Thank you very much. Beautiful. There is Angela Margerson from New Zealand, and we thank her so much for coming on. Stay tuned. More Trot's Life on the other side. Welcome back to Trot's Life. Get involved in the conversation, 0499736736. And it's that time of the week again where we're joined by Matt Lepard. Matt, uh, mate, uh, how are you? And uh, whereabouts are you today? Hey, Toads. I'm good, mate. Um, I'm just at home, as per usual, in my office, and literally... 30 seconds ago, the fields from Melton came out. So I've just noticed my horse, Credit Master, has drawn inside back row in the Group 1 Trotters Grand Prix. Oh, he's come back to Melbourne, has he? He's come back to Melbourne, and then he'll go back up to Sydney next week for the $100,000 race up there. So back-to-back $100,000 races. Hopefully he can um, – well, he went well on the weekend, showed a return to form. Um, yep. So we're more or less uh, forgetting about what happened the week before, and, and he'll be fitter again this week and next week. So she'll be peaking by Sydney next week, but uh, it was good to see him somewhere back towards getting towards form again. Yep. hundred percent, mate. Uh, we might have a little tip away here. You've got plenty to get through. So uh, you're kicking off in race seven at Cranbourne. Yeah. So this is, um, this is the fast class race of the night. So the 61 to 72 Raiders. And I've backed a horse here that, uh, did race in Metro grade last time. And that's number five, Mr. Macedon uh, for Ever Justice and Shane Hoban. So this horse has been very consistent for a while now and sort of bordering on, on metropolitan grade horse. And I just reckon the class drop here, getting back to, to sort of country level versus what it ran against last time where they went 151 around Melton. I just think this is a much more suitable race. So even though it was beaten a long way last time at Melton, its own personal time was still around the 154 mark at Melton, which I think is still a good enough sort of performance to go pretty close here. Um, it was a poorly, sorry. it was a poorly named horse by better than Cheddar out of Black and Yellow. They could have come up with, you know, Blue Cheese or something for the name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and Ever Just is actually a really promising young driver too. I, oh. I actually, I think she's come a long way in a very short time. When she actually drives her dad's horses, I'm actually more confident backing her than I am backing John these days. Oh, wow. John will be rapt to hear that and filthy at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think from the draw, Mr. Macedon can probably push forward at the start. Wildcard to Scott Ewan will probably be driven pretty aggressively, but I'm not sure if it's quite got the class of some of these. So as long as Ever Justice can get into a pretty prominent position early and and, um, and hopefully get some running line cover, then I think she can just about win. So that's race seven, number five, Mr. Macedon. Race nine, uh, number five, I'm Eugene. is being tipped by Darren Carroll. He was on Giddy Up. He tipped uh, race nine, number five, I'm Eugene, and race two, number five, Montana Pride. We might uh, catch up on that a bit later in the show, but are you with I'm Eugene as well? I am, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not normally one to go back and Kenny tip it, but I think he ticks a lot of boxes here in this race. I'm Eugene. So uh, I think the mile suits, the front row draw suits, he's got gate speed. Ken's quite an aggressive driver, so I think if he pushes the button at the start, there's a fair chance that he might find the front. I think Little Safari, drawing the one, might be happy to take the sit. Uh, and, and I'm Eugene, on the pegs, rolling along over the mile around Cranbourne, gets his chance. He's uh, He's been 270 into 220, uh, and a deserved clear favourite. Um, I don't think he'll start any shorter than that, because punters don't generally... Um, uh, like backing Kenny Tippett at the short. So if you do want to back it, I don't think you need to dive straight into the current price. I think it's short enough now, but it may just drift a little bit again late. Um, but as long as it finds the front, it'll be very, very hard to run down. So that's race uh, nine, number five. I'm Eugene at Cranbourne. Over to Menangle, mate. Race three, and this is intriguing. There's a first starter for 
McCarthy's at $1.90. Uh, Roy Roots has got one in it at $3.20. That's had two starts. Where'd you settle here? Yeah, pretty keen on the first starter for McCarthy here called Dat Lou, which is a Kiwi-bred import. Um, it has trialled. Uh, its trials have looked good. It's won both the trials. It hasn't really ran time. It's only gone 156 at its most recent trial, but the way that it did it <laughs> indicated to me that it's capable of probably going a bit, fair bit quicker than 156. So, uh, And when McCarthy gets their Kiwi imports, they generally can run a bit. So... It looks like it's got gate speed based on its trials. Uh, so it's got the option here of leading or it can take the sit on number six, All-Star Magician, who has gate speed and will look to lead and probably roll along if it does find the pegs. So it's got options. Um, the other danger was in the sky for Roy Roots and it's uh, also a former Kiwi that's had a couple of runs, but I'm just not quite sure about it on what we've seen. I don't think it's got the gate speed to just blast across and find the pegs. So if its main danger is on the pegs and in disguise off the pegs, it's going to find it a bit tougher. So very much in the corner of that Lou for Luke McCarthy and Belinda McCarthy. That's race three, number one. I'll be cheering for the eight, like Toyson Dior, because Cam Hart's my captain this week. Uh, race, oh, right. <laughs> race five. I won't ask who yours is, but uh, I'd be going Cam Hart if I was going anyone. Race five, number eight, the Black Prince. Cam Hart on board, $1.60. Is he going to get the money? Um, I, I think he's short enough at the price. I've actually had a place bet here, and that's number three, Firestorm Red, Ooh, Jack okay. Trainer. Okay. Um, yeah, this is a, a metropolitan sort of quality field, mm. um, including a couple like, well, the Black Prince is a former Group 1 winner. He, this is for horses who weren't able to get a run at Menangle on Saturday night, so these are all ballots from the Metro meeting. So there's okay. a big range in ratings here. You've got Pops Boy drawn one as a 68 rater. And you've got Black Prince as a 113. So it's a bit harsh on the lower rating horse to get thrown in against the, the higher rating horses, but they're all thrown in together because they all missed a run and got balloted on Saturday night. So I think the Firestorm Red form lines are actually pretty good. Uh, he's got gate speed. He should be able to get to the pegs across numbers one and two. I think he needs to run the gate hard enough and, and say no to pitch perfect and tuppence. Don't let them get across him at the start and then only hand up to either Major Jealous or the Black Prince. So it'll be interesting to see how Jack Trainer plays it here, but he's pretty good with his form, Jack Trainer. So he'll know what he needs to do to maximise his chances of of finishing the best possible position. I think if he is able to hold the lead early and then sit on one of the two big guns, then he should be able to run a place. His last run uh, in a Metro race a week and a half ago, they went one fifty point four home in fifty five flat on the, the good Queensland some moment somewhere, and he came from four pegs, was shuffled out to last at the top of the straight, and rattled down the outside to run fifth. Only beaten 12 metres um, and, and went past pitch perfect down the straight. So I've got him as a clear, clear third pick in the race. So I thought the place prices out there at the moment are absolutely super. I thought his place odds should be more around the 220, 230 sort of mark. So for those that don't mind a place bet, I think he's probably the best place bet anywhere today. That's race, race five, number three, Firestorm Red. Very good. Off the text machine. Good morning, Toby. Lockenvar Art just bolted in at Yonkers. Whilst at literally the same time, come on, Artie won at the Western Fair Harness. They crossed the line at the same time on a split screen. Bizarre. The double paid $55. Tony from Frankston South. Thanks, Tony, for sending that in. Uh, I didn't see that as uh, we are busy working away here, but uh, nice to see Lockenvar Art won again. He was massive. I can't believe the odds he went around at his first start over there. But anyway, race seven at Menangle, Matty. Uh, I think you tipped Coral Stride last week, did you? Uh, yeah, and it was very disappointing. So we're not uh, we're not backing Ooh. it today at the very, Ooh. very short price. Um, I've had another place bet here, and that's number one, Radiant Amber. Um, she's the sort of mare that doesn't seem to win very often, but she loves running a place. Um, and she gets the draw here. She looks to map well. So Coral Stride should zip across to the pegs. Whether it then potentially takes a sit on Watch Me Dazzle, or whether Watch Me Dazzle is, is posted in the breeze. Regardless, either way, Radiant Am is going to be either leaders back or three pegs following the two best horses in the race. Um, and therefore, as long as they don't burn up too hard through the first quarter, because she is a little bit weak and doesn't go as well when she's had to burn hard at the start. So we just want them to sort of amble through in a 27 or 28 first quarter, which is not that quick around an angle. And then she should be able to follow a helmet well enough to get into a place. So they were betting 2.30 earlier. Uh, if you stop around now, you can still get black figures. Um, 
there are betting companies still betting black figures. So I think she's a clear, clear third pick behind the two favourites in the race, Coral Stride and Watch Me Dazzle. And um, and we're just playing our maps like we did with Firestorm Red, hopefully leaders back or three pegs and getting the suck run and put the tow rope out. So that's race seven, number one for a place, Radiant Amber. Redcliffe uh, tonight or no, this uh, afternoon? Today. Yeah. Yeah, today. So, <laughs> So Redcliffe, uh, for the next week and a half, I think it is, they're, they're actually replacing all the Albion meetings with Redcliffe because they're doing a bit of work at at, Red, at Albion Park over this next week and a half. They're yeah, okay. finally replacing the caller's box. Um, oh. For those that have been to Albion Park in the last 15 years would notice that Chris <laughs> Barsby uh, is up on a sort of a temporary scaffolding-type setup. Um, yeah. And they're finally actually giving him uh, a bit of a more permanent structure, I believe. I saw some photos the other day, and uh, it's good to to see that the great man finally gets a bit more comfort compared to what he's been calling in for the last 15 years. So I think that's something to do with the work they're doing there this week, which is why all the meetings are at Redcliffe and not Albion this week. When the workers turned up and uh, walked on the first day, he said, they're off and pacing. <laughs> he's a great, he's a very good caller, Chris. He Barbie. is a very him. good caller. Uh, race so six. Redcliffe. Yeah, race <laughs> six. Um, now, for those that aren't too familiar with Redcliffe, it's a tiny little t- triangle track. It's only about 800 metres around, but it's very, very peg-dominated. Mm. Um, as long as it hasn't been raining, then it's very peg-dominated. Uh, and you really need to play your maps. Leader and leader's back is very much the place to be. And if the first sort of half a lap of the race is not that quick, then it more or less eliminates the majority of the field straight away, and it's too hard to make ground out wide. So... Row six, we're playing our map. So I think number three, little Lionel James is the leader and number one, Mighty George, to sit behind it. And I think if we do get that set up, then I think Mighty George can actually have too much speed up the sprint lane and go past little Lionel James. So pretty keen here on Mighty George for Narissa McMullen. Uh, he, he's not the sort of horse that I would expect to lead the race, but he does have enough speed to, to hold the back of the three and uh, has very, very good closing speed when, when left alone early. So... As long as the Maharani number two doesn't try and upset our map and we do get on the back of the three, then I think Mighty George can be too quick up the sprint lane. So that's race six, number one, Mighty George. Beautiful. Race eight at Redcliffe. Yep. So this is a a veteran's race for the rating 70 to 99. So horses that are seven years or older. So it's more or less like a glorified claimer. Yeah, yeah. um, Which is a good initiative that that Queensland started about two years ago. So it's sort of to help prolong the careers of these older horses, which is a good idea. Uh, And with number five, it's Mr. Clooney here um, for Chantal Turpin. Um, Normally, Pete McMullen drives this horse, but he's suspended at the moment. So... Chantelle, who is his wife and is the trainer of the horse, she takes the drive. And I think if he pushes forward and is very aggressive, Mr. Clooney might be able to find the front here. Uh, and if if Clooney does find the front, I think he's pretty close to a good thing. If he's left in the breeze, he can still win the race. He's a very tough one-pace sort of horse, so he'll still keep punching away if he's left in the breeze. But if he does roll to the top, then very, very hard to beat. So at around the 3.20 mark at the moment, they did bet $4 at one stage last night, but I think he's a deserved clear favourite because number one, roll one over, looks the early leader, but probably will end up taking a sit on Mr Clooney if Clooney gets up to him within the first half a lap. So that's race eight, number five. It's Mr Clooney to hopefully find the front and lead all the way. You were never in Mr Freeze when it was at Matty Cravens, were you? No, no, but I, it's... It's doing a real good job up in Queensland. That horse has been up there for a while and just keeps earning and earning and earning and keep going around year after year. Uh, Josh Nelms is who I was thinking of. Josh Nelms is in the horse, yep, yep. Yep, yep, yep. That's who I was thinking of. Uh, Right, now, Gloucester Park. You've just got the one at Gloucester Park in race seven. Yeah, so this is um, the faster class race of the night and it's over the long trip to 2,500, which really brings those not drawn so well into the race. Um, over the 1,700 at Gloucester Park, it's, it's almost impossible to make ground because the leaders can keep rolling. But an extra lap gives a horse like Rock and Roll Alley at number eight a big chance to get into it tonight. So his figure form <laughs> might not look that good. His last two runs have been 10th and 6th. But um, they were in races that were a bit stronger than this. And the 2,500 gives him a chance to really get up on the tempo at some stage. And he's good enough to breeze and win this, I think, as long as you can get to the breeze comfortably enough. Uh, but if the tempo is on, he's happy. He's also capable of sitting back and just working into it three wide from the bell. So Jocelyn Young has options here. And I think he's the best horse in the race. Um, race seven, number eight, Rock and Roll Elliot. Hopefully can uh, 
finish off the night. Uh, it's only race seven there, but there's actually 12 races at Gloucester Park, so it's going to be a late finish for those betting at uh, midnight Victorian time. Will that be you, mate? Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> I liked how you said rock and roll, Elliot. There's an extra lap in the race, and the main danger is wait for the belt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't miss those things. You know, you should know that. No, nah, very, very, very good. Speaking of waiting, uh, we might get you to wait there, mate. Uh, we'll get a break away and we'll come back and we'll have a little chat about, I suppose, Menangle on Saturday night. You're listening to Trot's Life with Toby McKinnon. Welcome back. It is Trot's Life. Matt Lapar, Toby McKinnon with you at the moment. Maddie, catch a wave. What a win, mate. Yeah, he was unbelievable. Oh. Um, exciting race. Um, oh. When you see two horses draw away at the cage, when I say the cage, that's the um, the marker over sort of the behind about the 550-metre mark there at yeah. the angle. Yeah, um, and, and when you see two horses, two of the best two horses in the race draw away like that and put a gap on the rest, it's... Um, it's exciting, a bit like a, a bit of a harness racing version of Bone Crusher and our Waverly Star, I guess you could say. And and in the end, the horse on the outside, just like Bone Crusher, um, the horse on the outside was the stronger one up the lane. I was actually away on the weekend. I, I watched the replay about three times. It was just, I don't know, it was yeah, in, it was just captivating, wasn't it? Watching him lift at that two hundred metre mark when she she pulled him out, and I think even Kate thought, "Hang on a sec, I'm coming here." Yeah, I think Kate was sort of caught her by surprise that, you know, that last hundred she was able to run over it. And you see some of the photos uh, that the media have released and you can see the biggest smile on her face with about 20 metres to go as she's about to to cross the line. Um, And she's probably thinking, gee, I've I've done it. How have I done it? I've done it. I can't believe it. But um, so full credit to the winner. He was obviously the best horse on the night. But I don't think we necessarily saw the best of Captain Ravishing on the weekend. Um, He's always had a tendency to hang a little bit, but not to the extent of what we saw on the weekend. At the reverse angle uh, at the cage, the reverse camera angle from the stewards' tower at about the 600 metre mark, after they passed that camera, you could see as they went into that bend, Captain Ravishing was even hanging in, running inside pegs on that bend. And then at the top of the straight, he's done it worse than we've ever seen. So whether that could mean there's an issue, um, well, I guess we'll find out in coming days because apparently the horse was getting bedded today or yesterday. Um but whether that means there was an issue and the horse was feeling something or whether it was just the fact that he wasn't able to cop the early burn because that's the first time in mm-hmm. in a long time where he's actually had to burn up that hard through the first couple of hundred metres of the race. So I guess we'll find out more soon. But when a horse regresses in its performance like we saw on the weekend compared to its previous run, often if they push on and go again for another run, it can regress even further. So... Therefore, there's got to be a bit of a query whether we even see Captain Ravishing go around on Saturday week in the Miracle Mile. They obviously wouldn't run him unless they're 100% happy with him. Um, so I guess we'll hear more in coming days as to, to if they, if anything comes out of a, a vet check. But uh, I think uh, I think if, if he wants, or if, they, if the stable do want to run in the race, I think off He's his second in the chariots is probably enough to get him in. He's obviously not running yeah. this Saturday. So, therefore, that's potentially already three spots taken, which means the top two from each qualifier this week get in. And therefore, that only leaves one wild card, which probably would go to the fastest third place getter out of the two qualifiers. Unless the Raymond mayor's Kelly? race... Well, unless the mayor's race run really quick time. So, two years ago, Stylish Memphis went 149 when she won, and that got her a start in the Miracle Mile. Hmm. Then last year, she only went 151 when winning... The, the Queen Elizabeth. So, and that wasn't enough to get her in. So, they only seem to put the winner of the mare's race into the Miracle Mile if it's a very fast run mare's race because they're very time based on their Miracle Mile selection. So, mm. at this stage, unless the mares come out and smash the clock, I would expect the third, the fastest third place getter from the two sprint qualifiers to get in and make up that eighth spot. Yeah, that, it's called Menaville syndrome, Matty. I don't know if yeah. you're familiar with it, but we're going yeah. right back there. And yeah, just... yeah, yeah I remember that. Um, that was 1996, <laughs> Five, I reckon. Six, I was 13 yes. years old, and I, well, I remember watching the Miracle <laughs> yeah. Mile at Bendigo Trot that night well, as a 13-year-old kid. And uh, Manaville, uh he took off three wide down the back and ended up galloping, and Iroquois got out of the 1-1 and ran all over Elvacolo. 
Oh, there's nothing wrong with your memory. Yeah, he went 155 in an MO and just got thrown in. So for those... Yeah, they, they put him, they put him in ahead of our Sir Vancelot. Yeah. And, <laughs> and this is before our Sir Vancelot had won any of his Inter-Dominions, though. But they put him in ahead of our Sir Vancelot. And then our Sir Vancelot came out the week after in the Bohemia Crystal and sat in the breeze and ran a world record. So, so, so for those uh, these days, that'd be like uh, race two at... Menangle say don't need an excuse or loyalist or something or Shayella comes out and runs one forty eight five and it just gets thrown into the miracle mile from almost nowhere. Yeah. That's sort of what we're talking. Yeah, essentially like an MO horse yeah, running well, yeah. running, you know, crazy time, like a one forty nine or a one forty eight and then and then yeah. getting into a miracle mile. Yeah. It's not gonna happen again. Oh well we shouldn't say that. It may be, but the great races. We only got uh, 50 seconds. There's a great car to racing there on uh, Saturday night again at Menangle and the two Schwepp sprints. I'll tell you what, the first two out of each of that race, they're going to deserve to get in because they are just as good as I've ever seen. Yeah, they're actually more open than, than what oh. people might think. Bondi lockdown drawing one. Doesn't the help. fact that they, they don't like using him at the start means he could get buried here. So, yeah, yeah. You know, he's no certainty to even qualify for the... The, the Miracle Mile, he's got to run top two to guarantee himself a spot. Um, same with Spirit Bay. of St. Louis. And and then in the other heat, um, you know, you've got horses like Honolulu Bay drawn out really wide. He'll come out of gate nine. And he's probably got to run top two or possibly third to get into the Miracle Mile. So there's going to be some very, very good horses not getting a start in the Miracle Mile. Matty, love your work, mate. Uh, we'll do it all again next week. Thanks, Toby. See you, mate. There's Matt Lapard as we go into a break. Welcome back to Trot's Life. It is your Tuesday edition. A man I've wanted to get on for a little while and have a chat to is David Collins. Not a huge name in harness racing, but there is a story to be told. David, firstly, mate, uh, how are you and whereabouts are you today? Oh, I'm really good, thanks, Toby. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, at uh, Juan Turner, uh, sunny Juan Turner. Beautiful. Now, Take us right back, David, and this might go back some time ago. What sparked your interest in harness racing? Oh, well, my, my family have had uh, harness racing horses since the uh, 1920s, actually. So it's yeah. been a, a long time past time for my family. And Dad uh, had uh, had horses. I think he, he first got licensed as a trainer and driver in the early 1960s. And... Uh, Oh, from the age of 11, I think he needed a track worker. So um, I was it. And uh, he taught me how to how to drive and harness up horses and, and so forth. And uh, that would have been about 1977. And uh, we, we um, used to work on the roads around uh, Brown Hill, which is an outer suburb of Ballarat in those days. Um, mm-hmm. you, you wouldn't dream of doing it now. And uh, then, you know, it got a little bit dangerous. So we moved our training activities up to the Ballarat Showgrounds, which was... A very nice little uh, track, uh, yeah, that's uh, uh, now home to the North Ballarat Football Club. Yeah, okay. So do you you got into actual race driving, though, at that time as a young bloke? Uh, yes, I, I uh, started, started doing fast work from age 11, and I was hooked from that moment on. I, I guess anyone that um, gets behind a horse for the first time and, and goes quick with them, as um, you know, get get the same sort of feeling. It's pretty exhilarating. Uh, I waited until I was about seventeen or eighteen before I got a race driving license, and uh, I think I probably had about eighteen eighteen or so drives, and uh, had a couple of places and and a and a uh, a win at Mount Gambier um, on one of Dad's horses. What was its name? Galvanite. Uh, yeah, he won about seven races for my father, so he he was a fairly handy horse. Uh, yeah, and uh, he, he he let me drive him, which was terrific. Yeah, um, a, re- a really good feeling driving a winner. Twenty second of March, nineteen eighty six. Galvanite won uh, for the late the estate of John Milton Collins, driven by David Collins at Mount Gambier. That is a long time ago, David, a long, long time ago now, but that was your first and only drive, uh, winning drive. Yep. That's right. Yes. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm trying to get my license back. It's, it's a long process, Toby, and I don't know how the stewards are going to view, uh, <laughs> my book of trial drives. I think it goes back over 10 years now. So, um, I'll be asking them nicely if they can grant me a driver's license again when the time comes. 
Well, well, listen to this. The other drivers in the race, Rod Barker ran second, Adrian Kemp ran third, and we had his brother David on who ran fifth in the race only last week on this show. Kelvin Barker, Andrew Clark, Neil Shepard still trains horses, Rosemary Black, I don't know, Graham Howard still trains horses, a bloke by the name of Kevin Bruff is an absolute legend of the sport, and Barry Finnis was in the race, Jason Finnis's dad. Nearly every driver in that race is still in harness racing. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable, isn't it? It just goes to show it. it, Once it's in the blood, it stays there, Toby. Do you remember how you spent the $480 in prize money that you and your dad won? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I think I bought myself a a nice pair of boots with the the proceeds. Uh, My my dad was an economical man when it came to a sling, but I think he gave me enough money to buy a pair of boots there. Joey and Joe won the race before you, so they would have been sick of Ballarat people by the end of the night. Oh yeah, yeah, they, they, um, yeah, they, they were sort of getting used to our raids over there. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but what, a, what a terrific place to go and race, um, Mount Gambier. Really friendly people, great club, yeah, and still going to this day, which I'm, I'm happy to see. Yeah. So there's a hiatus of a considerable amount of years. Uh, was there no harness racing there for a long period? Uh, well, I, I guess I sort of mucked around with it um, from, uh, you know, my, uh, you know, from the time I was 11 until probably my early 20s. I've actually, I had, I had some jobs uh, for professional trainers in harness racing in my mm. early 20s. I, I did, um, did a little stint at Meadowbrook um, stud for uh, Kevin and Patsy Abrahams and stayed there for about six months. And then I went to Queensland and I got a, a job um, with um, John McMullen, Hollywood John McMullen, who um, trained just next door to Albion Park, more or less. And, yep. And that was a, a really um, good experience. Um, very professional guy, um, like, you know, a, a high achiever. And, you know, and I was lucky to sort of, you know, get to get to work there because you sort of got to see um, what it took to go to the top level of harness racing. John yeah. uh, lived and breathed it. And, um, yeah, there were a lot of good visiting trainers came there too. Ted Demler stabled horses there. Brian Hancock, um, I think he had Thor 8 there at one stage um, for the Winter Carnival. So, you know, you got to learn a lot just by being in that environment. Yeah. You wouldn't have been yeah. at, at McMullen's in 1991, would you? Uh, yes. Yes, it would have been 91, yeah. Yep. Do, do you remember Teddy Denmore brought a horse up, won the Queensland Derby that year and stayed at yeah, McMullen's? That's right. I, I think he had I uh, had Skyring Boy, uh, which it's claimed to fame as it got to be on the Sullivans, I think, in the trotting episode there. So Yeah. Um, no, no. Yeah, T- yeah. Teddy had a horse called Barrel Boy win the Queensland Derby in 1991. That's right, yes. And, yeah, just stable around the corner from, from the bungalow of John's, yeah. Great horse, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he certainly was. Here's my father's horse, David, and my mother's. Oh, well, <laughs> oh, there you go. What what a, what a small world, yeah. 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 I'd be claiming you put the uh, icing on the cake for him and uh, was your you were the one responsible for getting him over the line that night. Oh, well, I, 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 <laughs> I can't take... Can't take the credit for that. I think um, Ted was uh, an exceptional trainer. Um, he 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 would wander around with a little um, spiral notepad, noting down everything John um, did with his horses. So um, <laughs> he, he was a he, Ted. Ted was a, very much a student too. I think. Yeah. So, someone said on this show that the best thing you can do is steal with your eyes, and it's free to do it. No one will ever charge you for it. So Teddy was obviously stealing with his eyes at, at, throughout his life, which. By the sounds that you have as well. So at some point in all of this, you've got back into wanting to train your own horse? Yes, that's right. Uh, I I sort of didn't didn't, uh, have anything to do with them for a long, long time. Um, Probably... Probably the you know early mid nineties, early nineties, I sort of um, lost interest in it, and and then uh, uh, I started um, working at, at uh, Preston at a community mental health clinic there, and every morning I would have to drive past Gower Park, uh, and um, I'd see Frank Hoban, uh, uh, who at that stage was the only trainer working on that track, uh, jogging horses and occasionally fast working them, so. Um, 
you know, I sort of would uh, make a point of going past when he was working his horses. And then um, one day I thought, I'll go and introduce myself. And, uh, and you know, Frank was uh, very generous with his time. And, and, uh, and uh, I learned a little bit off him too, uh, you know, as well. So um, I think... Uh, I think he he was um, a great storyteller and and uh, you know and all uh, and a, and a bit like my father Milton he he was an all rounder with horses he could um, he could feed them train them chew them and drive them so you know um, you know which is a less common thing these days in harness racing so yeah uh, and and that was where my interest uh, got started again I guess and and then uh, and then after I stopped working at Preston. I moved over to uh, to Ringwood, uh, just near the the great um, training centre, the Croydon Light Harness Club, uh, yeah. uh, and became uh, became involved there in two thousand and nine. So Galvanate was by a sire called Gavelland. Now yep. Gavelland is also the sire of a mare called Gavel Gold. Gavel Gold had a mare called Tequila Topaz. And Tequila yep. Topaz is the mother of El Cadassa. So somehow you have tracked down the progeny of a Gavilland horse. Was that part of your thinking or is that just an extreme coincidence? No, it was part of my thinking because uh, uh, that that particular maternal line belonged to um, to uh, Ken Day who uh, and his father and uh, they were... They were uh, they were horse breeders and trainers up in, in Leeton in the Riverina, which is, you know, probably in through the uh, 60s and 70s, Australia's premier sort of breeding nursery. And uh, um, they were very canny breeders. And and, and once I saw that, uh, that bloodline in some, uh, you know, stock catalogues for... Uh, for uh, the the Rose Hill Farm, which is just outside of Ballarat, um, that the Jacobsons had a few years ago. Uh, when I saw that bloodline, I thought I've got to have that. I've got to have that weanling. So I bought um, bought back an alien's uh, mum uh, uh, as a weanling from the Jacobsons, and uh, you know uh, I, lo- I love the breed, the breeding, and, and I knew the breeding was a, a, a good uh, line. And and I thought, well, you know, if the horse is not you know, so good on the track or, or gets injured while I can breed from her. And, and that's what I've sort of done in this instance. What You named it El Cadassa, A-L-K-A-D-A-S-A. I have no idea what that means. Uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely not Arabic, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which some people think it is, but it's definitely not Arabic. It's actually an amalgamation of... Um, all our family uh, first names in my family. So there's Alex, uh, Kath, Sam and, and David. So the first two letters, yeah, it was just a, a bit of a made-up name. You know, um, you, you get them from time to time. Uh, yep. I think uh, I think the great Trotter Grammel was, um, was also a, a made-up name. Uh, Might have been... The, the the wives the wives of the owners uh, uh, Grace and Melinda or something like that it was a made up name too so I sort of got the idea from from that there yeah. uh, unfortunately she wasn't as good as Grandma though um, but <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't even trot <laughs> so she didn't make it and you had that backup plan and uh, you sent her off to Village Jolt and then to Julius C's and you've bred two foals out of her. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the village jolt uh, service was was actually won um, uh, through a harness breeders Victoria raffle, and and that was um, really terrific. Uh, um, there's a lot of good stud masters out there that that support uh, small scale breeders like like me, and and uh, you know uh, raffle raffle the um, services. So. Uh, we bred to her, and we got a beautiful filly. Uh, she was she was a lovely uh, little filly. Uh, unfortunately, she sort of died in a paddock accident. Uh, but um, uh, we we sort of went to Julius Caesar after that happened, and um, we were sort of had high hopes for her. Actually, she was um, a, a really well gated pacer, and um, and had a very good attitude, and want, loved loved to work as well. So. But uh, anyway, we we got um, we got the service to Julius Caesar and and uh, bred back an alien, uh, also known as Paddy by by his stable name. Paddy, because he comes from, yep, comes from the Murphy's uh, Mountain View stud. So Paddy was a good nickname <laughs> for him. It's unbelievable. I've 
I've got another another chat that I'll be doing today. David Murphy will be involved as well, and uh, the mayor is actually by Metropolitan as well. So there's a lot of uh, coincidences going in, and that'll be a bloke by the name of Wayne Ronan. So it be interesting to see the correlation between the two. But Back and Alien uh, is the first horse you've trained in your name. Is that right? Uh the second, yeah. Second. So I had a horse that Dad gave to me years ago, and uh, yeah, she was no good at all. Um, didn't <laughs> didn't want to run. I gave her one start at Mount Gambier and gave up on her very promptly. So, uh, and I think that was in 1986. What was its name? And, uh, pony size because she was she was a little pony size thing, and um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Dad kept her and, and bred a few horses from her, but um, yeah, she just did not have the attitude for it. And that that was one thing I learned off that horse. If if they don't want to go, um, yeah. if they don't want to even jog jog nice and briskly around the training track for you, they're probably not much good. So um, yeah, so you know you learn every you learn a lot from everything you do. I think Toby, yeah, hundred percent. So back in Alien gets to the races as a three year old and. Uh, you'll know I've followed his career very closely as, as oh, yeah. yeah, and he's run sixth at his first start and then fifth at his second start. And he just showed a bit, didn't he? He just gets to the line nicely in both those starts to show that there is something there. Yeah. He he loves to run. He he really mm. loves to run. He, um, he, he sort of puts in and he's got a, uh, good, good heart and, um, yeah, I was really happy uh, with if he finished sixth and fifth at his first two starts. I think that that was his second preparation as well. I'd broken him in uh, as a yearling and turned him out, and then uh, I thought I'm, I'll go all the way with him in the sec. I'll go as far as I can possibly go with him uh, in the second preparation, and and that's where we ended up. Uh, we ended up at the races with him, so that was terrific, terrific um, to get there again. And then he's, I assume it's his third preparation. So that was April last year. He comes back in January and he ran fourth at Yarra Valley and then third at Cranbourne. I saw you after that third and I said, well, at least we know he's formed six, five, four, three, and he's heading in the right direction. That's right. He should have run second <laughs> instead of winning that race, Toby, uh, by rights. But he, he got ahead of us and, and won it. So, yeah. That- the third at Cranbourne, though, he, he just had no idea what he was doing, really, the horse. He saw daylight and he came and then he stopped a bit and he wondered what he was doing and then he, he came again and he just showed that the ability certainly was there. He just had to put it all together. Yeah, that's right. He, he's still learning and, and uh, you know, he's still still uh, fairly green and I'm, I'm probably green with him too, you know. I'm still learning about him and, and what, he, what he sort of... Uh, what he needs in in the run, and uh, you know, there's there's a few different uh, times when um, when he's confounded me a little bit, and I've had to try different things, and uh, you know, try and work him out a little bit. So it's um, it's it's a a really interesting caper training harness racing horses, Toby. You never stop learning from it. And they're, they're all very different too. One approach will work with one horse and another approach will have no effect at all. The 26th of January, 2023, and a little maiden race at Cranbourne with only six horses in it. And Matty Abbott had actually driven the first winner on Feel the Buzz and he backed up for a, a race-to-race double on Back and Alien. And, and you, were just, you were just stoked, weren't you? You and Kath. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It was an amazing feeling. Um, yeah, I, I, we were yelling so hard. I'm, I'm pretty sure he could hear us out on that track there. Um, yeah, it was an awesome feeling. Yeah, really sort of really an emotional feeling too. Like, uh, um, yeah, like since 2009, I think I've, uh, he's the fourth horse I've trained at Croydon and, uh, um uh, you know, it's a lot, long time, long time to be mucking around with them, and, you know, uh, and yeah, the, the reward for patience sort of uh, ended up uh, being there, Toby, yeah. Drove a winner in 1986, I think you said from memory now, and then 2009, you start playing with them again, and 14 years later, back in Alien wins a race at Cranbourne, and yeah, <laughs> no wonder you were emotional at such toil and patience paid off, mate. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so. And, and um, you know, like, it's, 
the harness racing is sort of, it's not my only interest in life and I, I sometimes pick it up and, and, and leave it for a little while. But, um, you know, I, I was damn determined to sort of, you know, get there with, with um, this horse because he's shown me enough out on the training track as a young horse that, that he can do it. So, um, yeah, th- and that, that sort of, you know, gives you that e- extra incentive too when you've got the horse that sort of shows you a little bit of promise as well. So, yeah. The celebrations that night and those educated would know that Bacchanalian means drunken revelry. Was there a bit of that that night? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, yeah, we had a, a couple of um, drinks um, pro- probably the night after. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know the right the Roman god of Bacchus is one of my favourites, um, and um, yeah, there there have been a couple of Bacchanalian times to uh, <laughs> celebrate his win there, and, and that fit with Julius Caesar, obviously. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit of a history history nut, so um, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know that that I had to have something historical there. You used the word nut, I didn't, David. Now tonight yeah. at Cranbourne, race eight, number one. It's really tough at 51 to 54 rated level for a little while. It is going to be tough for this horse back in Alien. But you go there, you've drawn the pole, and you're definitely a chance. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, the, the gods have uh, shone, shone upon, upon him tonight with the draw. So, um, yeah, we're, we're hoping... Um, Hoping to be up up near the front and uh, and you know have a have a good good run in, into the race and at at the end of it. So um, yeah, it's a it's a smart field and uh, there's there's a lot of um, a lot of good uh, form horses in there. So mm. it's going to be good. I, it will sort of give me an idea of where where the horse is at. Um, you know after tonight. So um, yeah, he, he is hoping. Uh, I've, I've been uh, been doing all the all the right things with him. Seven of the eight horses have won in their last uh, four, four starts, so it is a really good form race. David, thank you so much for coming on and telling your story. It's a, it's an amazing and intriguing story, and, yep, you only train a horse or two, but uh, every single person that trains a horse is a big part of this industry. So thank you, and best luck going forward with Back and Owen. Thank you very much, Toby. There is David Collins with a runner tonight in Back and Alien. And what an amazing story that is over so many years. And, yep, I did get that horse in there, Barrel Boy.